Welcome to the Laugh and Learn with Vern podcast. This is your host, Eric Vernston. Thank you so much for joining in this week. We have an incredible guest, the 2019 world champion of public speaking, Aaron W. Beverly. Aaron was a fantastic guest. We had a lot in common. He's been Toastmasters a little over 10 years. I've been in for about almost five now. And Aaron won the contest last year. Unfortunately, he did beat me. We beat 30,000 other people. He's pretty good. We talked about his journey to get to where he is now and uh, some of the hard lessons we've learned along the way. And he's also hilarious. And we crushed it with some improv the last 10 minutes doing some whose line is it anyway type games. This was an extremely fun interview. Can't thank him enough. If you are interested in working on your public speaking, please check out Aaron. He has a very active Instagram and he also may or may not coach on the side. You'd have to talk to him, but he also has a a fantastic corporate career and he works with an employer that's been super supportive of him. Aaron W. Beverly, the world champion of public speaking. Here we go. Welcome, everyone, to the Laugh and Learn with Vern podcast. I have a very special guest today coming live is Aaron Beverly, the 2019 world champion of public speaking. Aaron, glad to have you on. How are you? Uh, Thanks for having me, Eric. I'm doing great, all things considered. Aaron, I want to talk about um, what you're up to now. I know you've been doing, you have this wonderful uh, corporate career. You also are the world champion of public speaking. What's going on? Well, a lot has been going on since winning the world championship of public speaking. Of course, a lot of people know who I am now. So my anonymity is shot at anything that is related to Toastmasters International. <laughs> and it, as an introvert, it, it's a little weird, especially when you see people. I've literally had people on the street come up to me and say, hey, good good job, young man. And I'm thinking like, oh, okay, what, what are you talking about? Yeah. And then I remember like, oh yeah, I won the World Championship of Public Speaking. So it's really weird because people know me, but I have no clue who these people are. And it's definitely going to take some getting used to even now. Was that something that prior to 2016 and 2019 you thought was even going to be a thing? Or were you like, you know what, I'll compete. If I win, it's going to be awesome. But then I can just kind of get back to things and whatever. Looking back, I really don't know what I expected. So initially when I competed in the international speech contest, I started competing way back in 2012. And back then I wanted the fame and the fortune. I thought that winning the world championship of public speaking was going to make all my wildest dreams come true. So there was some part of me that knew that I was going to be more known, but I think the dreams and reality are two different things sometimes. I did get a little bit of it in 2016 when I won second place in the world championship of public speaking, but at that time I wasn't really active on social media. So the floodgates were blocked off more than they are now. And about 2018, I started using social media more, and I opened up the floodgates. 
And once I won the world championship in 2019, those, those floodgates were were pouring through. In terms of social media, you have a very active Instagram account. I found you on YouTube. If someone was to listen to this interview, where would they? Where would you first direct them if they want to know more about what you've learned, seeing some of your speeches? Would you start with YouTube, or how would you go about that? Yeah, if you're looking for my journey, I would definitely direct you to YouTube. Because I'm right now, I'm doing a little series on my journey in the international speech contest. So I go year after year after year from 2012 to 2019. I just go over the things that I went through and the lessons that I learned, and I try to impart some knowledge that I learned that year to whoever's watching. So there are a lot of people who are interested in competing in the international speech contest. Contest starts with about 30,000 participants at the beginning of every single year. And over a course of eight months, they whittle it down to one world champion of public speaking. So a lot of people are going to be disappointed because they don't get the results that they want. And I share a lot of this information in my journey, in my video series on YouTube. So if you are interested, that's where I would direct you. It's Aaron W. Beverly. And that's the same for pretty much all of my social media platforms, by the way. And that is where you can learn what it really takes and what you need to put into the World Championship of Public Speaking and the International Speech Contest. You're also doing some speech coaching, if I correct. If someone wants to reach out and say, hey, you know what, I want to work on some stuff, I want to work with, I want to work with the champ, how do they best do that? way to reach out to me for speech coaching. So I did speech coaching a little bit earlier in the year just to try to test it out, and now I do do it. It is on a more limited basis, but if you are interested in speech coaching, the best way to reach out to me is through Instagram or Facebook, and we can connect with email addresses. So my email address is Aaron at speakandbu.com. So that's speak, like the word speak, A and B. B-E-Y-O-U dot com. And basically, if you are interested in coaching, and this is really big in terms of finding somebody to coach you and mentor you, you really want to make sure that your style will match. This is why I release a lot of the things that I've learned for free. So the first thing that I will tell you is just to look through my social media platform, see everything that I'm releasing for free, there are a lot of people who reach out to me and they say, Aaron, thank you for providing these videos because basically they're able to apply the lessons in those videos and use them for their speeches. You don't always need a speech coach because I'll tell you right now, speech coaching is not cheap. So really utilize the information that's out there. And if you are interested in direct coaching, you really want to make sure that the person you're asking to coach you is a person who you, number one, respect. Number two, you know they know what they're doing. And then three, they really have to match your style. You don't want to have a coach or a mentor that has a clashing style as you do. So I'm not going to do too well if you're a very high energetic, you're like a Tony Robbins type speaker. 
I cannot coach a Tony Robbins type speaker because I am not a Tony Robbins type speaker. I can teach you fundamentals, but that's about it. Uh, so that is a wrong way to say that I do do coaching. <laughs> well, as you said in your world championship of public speaking speech in 2016, it doesn't matter what you say as long as it's memorable. So Aaron, even though that was longer than you wanted, there's a lot of good stuff there. So I think you're okay. <laughs> and I, yeah. I want to yeah. give you, I want to give you a shout out too that um, I reached out to you on Instagram. You were pretty much instantly re- uh, responsive. So to anyone out there, Aaron is awesome. And obviously you're going to figure that out if you haven't already, but uh, please reach out if you ha- after taking his tips if you have any questions Aaron was super responsive and again I appreciate you coming on I want to talk about um I call it 10 and 10 so I want to get to know you a little bit a little bit more so I'm going to ask you 10 questions we'll aim for about 10 minutes I do a uh the running joke with me is that I'm almost never actually the only time I'm actually within time limits is table topics or international speech contest so we'll try for 10 minutes but uh, no promises Okay. First question. Where are you from? So I was born and raised in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And I lived in... Well, I lived with my mother and my sister. And that's who I grew up with. I moved outside of the city twice in my life. Once for college where I went. In, I went to college in Harrisburg. I just call it Harrisburg because nobody knows the We don't want to. We obviously don't want to to rip on Delaware. There's probably a wonderful. What What is it about Philadelphia? So it's, this isn't within the ten, but whatever. What is it about Philadelphia that really kind of that you really enjoy? Well, yeah, and not no disrespect to anybody who absolutely loves Delaware. It just wasn't for me. We're we're a pro Del we're a pro Delaware group and a pro Delaware podcast, but we're talking about Philadelphia now. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah. So Philadelphia for me it's. It's a perfect-sized city, so it's one of the largest cities in the United States, but it's not as big as a New York City or a Chicago, so you're not going to get lost in those cities. And for me, it is a great location because it's so close to a New York City. It's so close to a Washington, D.C. It's a really good central hub in the eastern, northeast of the United States. So you really get access to a lot of other places using Philadelphia as your hub. And the biggest thing is that Philadelphia has cheesesteaks. And I know that there are a lot of places out there that have cheesesteaks, but it's not a Philadelphia cheesesteak unless it's in Philadelphia. Or I'll even say a person who lives in Philadelphia and then brought the cheesesteak to wherever it is that they are. But it's just something about the cheesesteaks that are absolutely amazing here in Philadelphia. You're really kind of selling. I'm pretty hungry right now. You're really kind of selling this pretty good. Yeah, yeah I got to do my city justice. Love it. You you mentioned that you grew up with your mom and your sisters, and you've mentioned your mom in a few speeches. What is one lesson that you haven't said publicly that she has taught you along the way? Hmm. One lesson that my mom taught me that hasn't been shared 
Well, for me, it's, it's kind of been shared before, but the thing is, she really taught me to respect myself and be proud of who I am. And it goes beyond just being proud of just your character. It really just is about being proud of your identity. So be proud of the fact that you are a young black man. Be proud of the fact that you are a part of this family. Be proud of the fact that you are a nerd, that you do like nerdy things, and that you don't want to be like somebody else. So that's something that my mom really taught me over the years. And the biggest thing that my mom taught me was just how to speak. I mean, she really was the reason why I started speaking. And mind you, it was by force, but still, it was something <laughs> that she really knew that I needed to get better at if I wanted to succeed. Now, I didn't realize that until about when I was in college. So I was pretty much an adult by the time I realized that, okay, what she was doing was training me for the real world and how to perform in the real world. So that's something that I am highly appreciative appreciative of. And I definitely don't think I would be where I am today without my mom's little push in my beginning years. Your mom, your mom sounds fantastic. I am. Uh, I think we're all glad that um, her wisdom sunk in when it did, because you know, you're really impacting a lot of people out there, especially with. And I, I'd highly recommend people check out Aaron's YouTube page because that's where I saw his 2016 semifinal speech, where we'll get a, where you get a little more flavor into the embracing yourself. And so, Aaron, just so you know, I'm also a fellow nerd. And. Yeah. I so this goes to my third question. I know that you're a Batman fan. Yep. Who in real life wins wins a fight? Batman or Superman? Uh, so this one is it's going to greatly depend on preparation. Like I always said, Batman can win almost any fight if he has time to prepare. If Batman can prepare for you, you're you're done. But if it's just a, all of a sudden they just happen to fall into a room one day and they're ordered to fight, unfortunately it is going to be Superman because he's just so insanely strong and overpowered. But if he's allowed to think, if he's allowed to plan ahead, Batman wins over Superman hands down. I love that response. I just don't know if that would make for a, a good... Uh... <laughs> an actual good movie. But you know that's kind of what they did in Batman vs. Superman though, right? Like, who is your favorite speaker outside of Toastmasters? My favorite speaker outside of Toastmasters. So it's been really interesting. So I was really motivated to get into public speaking after watching Barack Obama in 2008. I just saw his ability to inspire people. And I saw his ability to eloquently state what was on his mind. Now, whatever your feelings are politically, I'm taking that out of the picture. I really just admire Barack Obama as a speaker and a motivator. However, as the years have gone by, I've realized that public speaking, is, it includes more than just getting on a stage and giving a speech in front of people. There are a lot of different public speaking styles and a lot of public speaking avenues. And 
comedy is one of those avenues. Some of the most successful public speakers are comedians. I think they're the most successful modern-day public speaker in the world right now. So you look at people like Kevin Hart, uh, old school Eddie Murphy. These guys practice a lot of public speaking fundamentals, and I've adopted a lot of their principles into my processes for public speaking. And they really showcase what it means to speak. So one of the comedians that's really that's really been catching my eye and my ears for about a good year and a half right now is Hassan Minaj. Yeah, and he is a comedian. He does a show called The Patriot Act, and it's just so cool just to see him mix in comedy with the with the political issues of the world. So it's a great way to bring attention to it, and I think he's just doing an awesome job of it. So right now, I think he's starting to edge out Barack Obama in my list of favorite speakers right now. Hassan's obviously pretty impressive to if, he, if he's edging out Barack Obama because, I mean, Barack is pretty much, at least in my in my mind, I mean, he's, he's and a lot of people, like, the golden, the golden standard. I remember, did you listen to his uh, Mandela address, like, a year ago? Uh, I probably have, but it, it's just not entering my mind at the moment. It's It seems like... And again, he's, you know, he probably, he'd be interesting to know what his process is. And we'll talk about yours in a little bit, but, you know, you hear him get up there for an hour. And like you said, you know, forget political leanings aside, like that guy is so good. But you make a good point about combining, you know, there's also something to be said about using humor in your speeches and being able or being able to use humor and then also talk about other topics. Like someone like a, like a John Oliver, someone I've, I've followed for a while, like, the ability to distill a topic that's of importance and people are interested in, but also to be able to throw humor on it, that's hard to do. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. What do you enjoy most about Toastmasters? What I enjoy most about Toastmasters is honestly the camaraderie of it. Some of my closest friends are Toastmasters. And the reason why I became world champion of public speaking was because I used a story about a wedding in India that I attended. The friend whose wedding I attended, I knew him from Toastmasters. He invited me to his wedding after a Toastmasters meeting. That's awesome. Toastmasters has really been great for my life. I've been able to travel around the world because of Toastmasters. You just have the chance to engage with people from all over the world. I have made so many friends in so many countries, and now I'm known by pretty much any Toastmaster that's even remotely interested in the international speech contest. So I can have a friend in almost every single country around the world that Toastmasters is in. It's, yeah, it's just a great way to connect with people and share cultures and share backgrounds and really understand that at the end of the day, a lot of us are the same. We may have small differences, but overall, we are the same. We we talked earlier, but you know, with Toastmasters, like getting the the ability to just meet people of different backgrounds, 
and everyone has a story to tell and be and being able to see them learn to tell that story and to be able to grow now one of the things i've i did because I, I used to work in the chicago loop i mean technically i still have a job there i'm i'm doing some training right now but i would visit i think there's like 90 90 toastmasters clubs in the chicago within like two or three miles of my office at lunch every week i'd usually visit one or two and I get to meet people and the feedback you get from, from various people is awesome. Cause a lot, especially people that the, the, I found that the feedback that was most valuable to me, and this is no offense to any of my home clubs. I love them all. It was people outside that hadn't seen me speak before. Yeah. They were the ones that saw things or they, they suggested things that I was like, you know, I never thought of that or I never heard that before. Or you know what? Someone will tell you their background and you're like, I've never actually saw that before. So, yeah, I love Toastmasters. No, that's actually a really great point. So I've been in Toastmasters now for 11 years now, and I've received a lot of feedback from people, but some of the most critical feedback that I've received in the past have been from people who were outside of Toastmasters and basically knew the Toastmasters and just saw me speak for the first time. Or it was somebody who's like totally oblivious to what anything Toastmasters means. And they give great feedback. So it goes to show you that just because you're more experienced in something doesn't mean that you cannot accept feedback from somebody that's at a more junior level than you. I think one of the things that people get tripped up on sometimes and why you don't see a lot of more senior leaders join Toastmasters because they don't want to be evaluated or get feedback from their juniors. They don't want to see weak. And that's just not the right mindset. I, I forget who said the quote, but any man is my equal in that I can learn from him. I, I think it was Ralph Waldo Emerson, but don't quote me on that. But that, that's the mindset that I live by. I can be taught by anybody. It doesn't matter how much experience that they have. There's something that they can teach me. I completely agree. And again, Toastmasters, not all, I, there's no downside to joining Toastmasters. It costs literally almost nothing. You get to potentially travel the entire world, get invited to amazing events, and get feedback from people of all different backgrounds. I, I love the place. All right, next question. Star Wars. I hear you're a Star Wars fan. At least you were back in 2016. What trilogy did you enjoy most? The original, the prequel, or the most recent? going to catch a lot of heat for saying this and people are going to basically take away my Star Wars fan card. I actually enjoyed the second trilogy more than any of the others. We're talking the, the first, like the technically the first three? So episode one, two, three. Why? So I enjoyed the backstory of learning how Darth Vader became Darth Vader. I know a lot of people may not have liked the acting certain ways about Anakin Skywalker, but I believe that it was a great show of how his character changed over time. Now, could there have been some director changes or some creative changes, I should say? Absolutely. But I think overall, the story, it progressed as a well-told story. And I, I personally enjoyed it. Aaron, I think your opinion carries weight given that you are a world champion of telling stories. So, 
I, if anyone tries to take your Star Wars fan card away, I think that should be factored in. <laughs> Number seven. Where do you see yourself in five years? Well, five years from now, I definitely see myself doing what I'm what I'm starting to do now on YouTube. I definitely see that being a lot bigger, having a lot more videos under my belt, and just having more free online courses on YouTube. I do see myself as a corporate trainer. That is the next career goal that I want. I want to be a program manager for a for a training program at a company. That is one of my goals. And I also see my business being stronger. So I do coaching right now, but I want to also get into keynote speaking. So all of those things are what I plan to do in the next five years, and I expect them to be a lot bigger and more thriving by that time. I think that a good way to, to get where you want to go in life is to publicly declare it. So I give you a lot of credit for doing that because now, five years from now, I can ping you and say, Aaron, let's do a check-in. Let's see how we're doing here. Set, set, yeah. Setting out to the universe, it's always a good thing. And no, I'm not going to set a calendar reminder for five years. But, I I mean, you're clearly headed in that direction. And yeah, seeing the YouTube and all the stuff like that, uh, it's awesome. I mean, that's... That's how, you know, by putting yourself out there, you, you're sending out, you know, the universe is available to you now as opposed to just, you know, if you do a keynote, yeah, you're, you're helping a room full of people. But if you record that keynote and then you can add lessons to it, you can impact millions of people. Number eight. Absolutely. Oh, sorry. Okay. Number eight. Who wins in a fight? Black Panther or Yoda? Yeah, that, that's an easy one. It's Yoda, hands down. He's just too strong. It's a bit of a mismatch. Yeah, you know, looking at that question written down, it, yeah. I guess who, that's a tough one. Yeah, Yoda, I mean, especially peak Yoda. Would that be an interesting miniseries? I wonder if they're going to go through that. Like Yoda in his prime. That'd be kind of fun. Maybe, I mean, they're they're doing baby Yoda on The Mandalorian, so maybe they'll just try to, maybe it'll spark some questions about what young Yoda was like. That'd be a fun one. That'd be a fun origin when story. When he was a young 200 years old or something like that. <laughs> a young 200 years old. Only in Star Wars. Number nine. Who is your favorite villain? My favorite villain? Oh, that's a good one. My favorite villain... I... Right now, I really love the Vulture from Spider-Man Homecoming. I just think that I really like gray villains because you can argue that they were justified in acting the way that they acted. I always like that that gray area where you just want, you sometimes want to root for the villain because you felt that the villain was wrong. So Vulture really comes to mind. I like Loki just because he's he's just a funny villain. He's hilarious. But at the same time, he's a serious threat. So I, I think, right now, I think it's a tie between those two. Did you, I'm assuming you enjoyed Spider-Man Homecoming, or was it only Vulture? Oh, I enjoyed the entire movie. I, I just like the whole way that they changed it, and 
how they made Spider-Man into more of a technological Spider-Man instead of the normal Spider-Man that we saw. I I think they, it was really well done. Last, last question. If you could tell your younger self one thing and younger self will say like, I don't know, let's say 20 years ago, 10 year old Aaron, 10 year old Aaron Beverly, what would you tell him? One thing. One thing I would tell him. I would tell him to. Well, I, oh, let me think about what, what was I doing at ten years old. So, okay, I think that's when I was in a boarding school. So I, I would tell him that stay in that boarding school. Don't act out. Don't get kicked out of that school because will actually make it a lot easier for yourself. So, yes, that would be the one thing I would tell him. If I can't tell him anything else, I would just tell him that. Stay stay in the boarding school? Behave yourself? Yep. 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 So, just to give people a little bit of context, just to get like, well, don't get kicked out. So, yes, I did get kicked out of a boarding school because of behavior problems. And it was something that I don't necessarily regret because I don't really have regrets about things that have happened in the past because I believe that had it not been for that, I wouldn't have what I currently have today. But I do think I could have made my life a lot easier had I stayed in that school. Yeah. And yeah, so who knows what the future would have been, but maybe if I did take that path, I wouldn't be the world champion of public speaking right now. Maybe I would have never found out about Toastmasters. So that's why I don't regret it, but I just know that I could have had a little bit of an easier path, just education-wise. Maybe you could have learned those lessons in a uh, in an, uh, in another format. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and I mean, I, I I think it's better to go with that route instead of just going for the cheap answer, like tell ten-year-old Aaron to invest in Facebook when it comes out. <laughs> like, that, yeah. Right. I don't want to cheat like that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, tell tell your uh, tell yourself in 2009 that there's going to be this thing called Bitcoin, and to figure out a way to buy all of them up. Like that's <laughs> right. Like that's not that's not how the universe works. So I do. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I think that's a good segue because I, I do want to talk about. I want to get into now kind of more. You know, the idea of this podcast is talking to people that have, have built up this awesome skill set. A lot of times they've done it not through just their job and you're a you're a prime example that you became a world champion of public speaking you overcame coming in second place which i can't even imagine what that's like but i do want to talk about that to win the whole thing while having this tremendous career so i want to get into some of the like how some of the skills you've built along the way that all added up to where you're where you're at now i want to start with you know, do you remember anything about you know growing up, whether it be what you just talked about with the boarding school or anything else? Like, what was you know maybe a lesson you learned along the way, or like a skill that you maybe inadvertently built during that time period that's helped you now? Like, for example, I could see I think you and I both have in common that we both like superheroes, and I'm kind of wondering if maybe did you read comic books? I wasn't a big comic book. And I was more so into the television shows. Okay. And I didn't start getting into comic books until my adulthood. What do you What do you think it is about? Okay, so you do read comic books. What do you think it is about 
uh, do you think there's like a correlation between you know people that were younger like reading like superheroes and like understanding like their backstories and all that and then um maybe like i don't know if it's like being detail oriented or being able to handle multiple things because i know a lot of people that have done very well and for some reason they all love superheroes and maybe it's just nonsense i don't know I think it speaks to the creative process and imagination. So a lot of people who like superheroes and fantasy and sci-fi, they're very imaginative people. They're very creative people. So for me, I think it could be that uh, some of my creativity comes from me being, uh, being a nerd, so from me liking superheroes, from me liking comics, from me liking anime. And it's something that really sparks my imagination and gets me to think, well, how could this be different? So we apply that to a speech, and we have our generic formula for how to give speeches. We have the template, and I look at that and say, well, what if it was done in this way? What if I told this type of story instead of just doing a traditional motivational speech where I just try to rile everybody up and say, hey, go out and live your best life and have all that good stuff. So I think it's something that you can, like those experiences, they can be used to inspire creativity. And I think that is something that I may have just unknowingly adopted into my speaking. You mentioned, you just mentioned prior experiences. I want to talk about in college, you had this, you had to give, you had to introduce someone and you got up there and things didn't work out the way you wanted. Could you talk a little bit about that? And then how did you take that experience and make the decision to invest more in yourself in public speaking? Yeah. So when I was growing up, I hated public speaking and I wanted nothing to do with it, even though I was forced to do it a lot by my mother at that time, as I said before. Shout out to your mom, man. She's awesome. <laughs> yeah, no, she's Seriously. Cool. Yeah. All right, sorry, go on. I, I, I definitely wouldn't trade her for anything. Yeah. Uh, the, when I was in college, that was when I really started to understand why speaking was important. And it was when I was a part of a student leadership training program. And when that program was finished, all of the participants graduated and every graduated, every graduate, I should say, had a role to fill. My role was to say a few words to the keynote speaker and thank him for his time and give him a gift. That was it. All I had to say was three lines. And I get up there that day, I shake the, the keynote speaker's hand, and I completely blank out. And that's when you notice how many people are in a room when you mess up. You notice how many eyes are staring at you, and it just seemed like time slowed down. Fifteen seconds felt like an eternity. Yeah. And it was so awkward, and during the whole 15 seconds, I'm still holding that man's hand. So I'm just up there holding a man's hand, not saying anything, and he's just looking at me as if to say, kid, please, just, just say something. <laughs> it's really not that hard. Yeah. Help me, please, do something. <laughs> and so, so yeah. I, I just said, here... I give him the gift, and I sit back down. That was very traumatizing for me. 
and it really helped me realize that, okay, I don't necessarily fear public speaking. What I fear and what I hate is being embarrassed, and I don't want to be embarrassed again. So that was really one of the turning points for me to join Toastmasters and invest in being better at public speaking. And the final straws actually was just listening again to Barack Obama speak and just seeing his ability to speak. And I said, okay, this is a guy who has won a presidential election a lot by just being such a great speaker. So public speaking is something that can be useful. I need to learn how to use this skill. So I would say he was really the straw that broke the camel's back, but that traumatizing experience when I was in college, that really, I think that started me along the way. That was the that was the start of your hero's journey. Yeah, exactly. I I someone told me this once. They said being able to speak in public is literally like a. It's like a superpower. Because so few so few people it can be learned, but so few people can actually do it. And it what what was that? I think isn't there a Jerry Seinfeld joke? It says more people are afraid of public speaking than death. I don't know how your experiences are with Toastmasters, but even in some of the groups, I feel like the, it's totally the 80-20 rule where even in a Toastmasters club and even a decent club, you probably only get, I'd say, 15 to 25% of people that actively speak. And that's even in a speaking yeah. club because a lot of people will come. There's like the people that want to, like I'm sure you're one of them, I, clearly. You were motivated. You came in there. But then you have other people that will, they'll jump in. They'll like start the manuals. They'll do a few table topics here and there. And then you have some people that they're just like, I'm just taking this all in. Yep. Yeah, I'm just here to observe. Yeah, which, and it not there's nothing wrong with those people, but you're not going to get that much out of it by watching other people speak. You're going to have to take your lumps. Yeah, absolutely. I, I tell people all the time that, you're only going to learn so much by sitting, and you're only going to learn so much by reading a book. The best way to get better at public speaking is to get up and speak. Got to get you. Got to get the reps. Let's talk about yeah. early on. So early on, Toastmasters. So you said you've been in eleven years. That puts us at two thousand nine, right around, uh, right after the, right after the election, and then you had your moment. Mm-hmm. What were some of the what, what do you remember about some of your early speeches and some of your early table topics? Like what do you what did you talk about? Like do you, do you, like was there like a moment when you're like holy crap, I can do this? I so I actually came in to Toastmasters thinking that okay, yeah, maybe I can do this with my icebreaker speech. I didn't want to have that traumatizing experience again. So I practiced and I practiced and I practiced for my first speech. The first speech in the Toastmaster curriculum is called the Icebreaker Speech. And for a lot of people, it's four to six minutes. I wanted to make sure that I didn't forget what I wanted to say. I I wanted to make sure I didn't blank out. So I literally practiced for 20 hours straight. And that is not an exaggeration. I was so focused on not messing up that I practiced for 20 hours straight for a four-minute speech. 
Wow. But when, when I gave the speech, it was really good. I didn't have <laughs> yeah. any filler words. I didn't <laughs> have any mind lapses, and I had added some humor in there and everything yeah. like that. It got, it was when I was done. The person who was the MC of the day or the postmaster of the day, he got up, he looked at me, he looked at everybody else, and then he said, there is a future world champion of public speaking. And that was back in 2009. If you were to tell me that someone would put in 20 hours into their icebreaker, I think that's a pretty good, you got a chance of being pretty good at this thing. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. It it all was driven by my fear of messing up. So I did not want to mess up, so I focused solely on making sure that I did not mess up. As you as you went along your journey, I'm assuming you you got your you did your competent communicator. You did your first ten speeches. When you were when you kept, did you do the advanced manuals? I did. So as you were going along, did you feel any benefit to other aspects of your life, whether it be professional or personal? Oh yeah, absolutely. Honestly, I I currently hold a job as a project manager. I would not have that job as a project manager without Toastmasters and what I learned in Toastmasters. And so the way it happened, I was sitting in the cafeteria and I'm just trying to reflect on what I want to do in my future. At the time, I wanted to be a project manager because I was very interested in the role and what the, the things that they did, but I didn't know how. I had zero project management experience. But one day, I hear this sporadic clapping while I'm sitting in the cafeteria. And it just kept happening. And I said to myself, wait, I know this type of clapping. For people who don't know, Toastmasters like to clap a lot. Yeah. (laughs) The clapping, yeah. They clap clap so much, it's probably a little too much. But I recognize the clapping. I said, wait, this this sounds like a Toastmasters meeting. So I walk around the corner, and sure enough, there was a Toastmaster meeting being held. My uh, different department in my company was actually holding a demo meeting. So they were trying to start a brand new Toastmaster club. Even though I was in a completely different department, I sat down on the meeting. I participated in the impromptu section, the table topic section. And I told them that I was a Toastmaster. I had been a Toastmaster at that time for five years. And that immediately established value in their eyes for me because I had experience that they currently did not have. So they could use that experience. And they allowed me to join their club even though I was a member of a different or an employee of a different department in the company. So I started to just do what we normally do in Toastmasters, organize meetings and speak and give speeches, I learned that the people who started the club were actually project managers. So I just started to network with them, and I reached out to one of them and just said, hey, I'm interested in project management. What does a project manager do? Now, the person who I reached out to at this time, they had already seen my ability to speak. They already saw my ability to lead a meeting and facilitate a meeting, and they are obviously noticing my ability to network. 
three very core components of being an effective project manager. So that simple question led to an interview, which led to me getting a job as a project manager, which I still hold today. That's awesome. That really is. I have, so at my, at my office, I've given a couple presentations and people have said, and actually, let me take a step back. So when I started my company, in the Chicago Loop, the idea is people go out and they get their lunch and they bring it right back and they eat at their desk. This was obviously pre-COVID. I would go out like once, once, or, once a week or once every other week and I would go to Toastmasters and I'd be gone for like an hour, hour and a half because you got to walk there. The meetings are about an hour. And my one, my one home club, HHS Toastmasters, we never start on time. Like, Literally never. It's like always 12.02 or 12.03. It's like it's almost a running joke at this point. But at, at first there was a little bit of pushback like, hey, you know, that's not really what people do. They kind of, you know, and they, they didn't say well, you can't do it, but normally people do this. But then once I started giving presentations, they were like, oh, OK, yeah, you know what? Maybe other people should even think about going to that. It just opens it opens so many doors. So I want, and I, I think you hit, you hit on something really interesting about networking. You have talked about before that you had a wonderful mentor who has helped you out. Could you talk a little bit about how you how you got connected with that mentor, how you and how you kind of established that relationship, and then we'll kind of go into like what what that looks like because I think a lot of people networking is. Is like the I did actually a podcast on it last month or Tuesday. It's like kind of like the boogeyman, so to speak, sometimes because you know like people I think get caught up in like oh I got to talk to people I don't know and I'm really nervous about it. You seem like you've developed a good skill set to be able to to work with people and you're comfortable doing that. So can you tell us about uh, your mentor mentee relationship? Yeah. So my mentor, his name is Philip Abisekora. He was actually the 2005-2006 international president for Toastmasters International. And he just so happened to be a adjunct professor at my college, Central Pennsylvania College, where a very small school, most people probably never heard about it, but that's where I went to college. And it was just, I hate to use the term chance or I hate to use the word faith, but I really do believe that it was fate because I went to this small school that nobody knew about and just so happened to run into this person. So the person who started that leadership training program that I talked about before, that was him. He was the one that started it. And it was there where I first learned about Toastmasters. And I actually saw his ability to speak and just realized that he was just such a proficient speaker. And... He was the person who introduced me to Toastmasters, and like I said before, I joined Toastmasters after my traumatizing experience. I joined in 2009, and I really just had a student relationship with Philip at first. There wasn't much else to it at that time. I didn't actually reach out to him for speech mentorship until I... The second year, I competed in the International Speech Contest. So my first year competing in the International Speech Contest, I had originally told him that I wanted to be the world champion of public speaking and compete in the contest. And I remember he told me that being in the contest is not for the faint of heart, but good luck. (laughs) 
and I competed, and I thought that I was going to just win every single round. I was going to win the world championship in my first year, and the speech contest is comprised of six different rounds, and round two, I lost. So, area, right? person comes up, yep, area, the area level. Yep. So, the, after that contest, somebody comes up to me, and he says, do you want to know why you lost? Which, if you're a competitor, that's the last thing you ever want to hear come out of somebody's mouth. Sure. But he told me that I was preachy, that I basically just tried to preach to the audience, tell them what they needed to do, and then I didn't tell any story. There wasn't any connection to me as a speaker. So that was something that I realized that I needed help with. So that is what I did. So what I did the next year, 2013, I reached out to Dillip and asked him to actually be my mentor. So he helped me create a speech from the ground up. And I remember when I gave him my first draft, and again, I'm thinking like, okay, this is a great speech. This is uh, the best speech that I've ever written. And he literally told me like, this is okay. It has potential. (laughs) Which is exactly what you expected, right? Yes. So he said, this can... (laughs) Yeah. This can probably win club, maybe area, but this will not make it past division. Yeah. So he really helped me work on the story and work on the delivery. And just with his mentorship alone, just with his direct mentorship, 2012, I couldn't get out of the second round, the area contest. The next year, 2013, I made it to round five, the semifinal. So you made the semifinals starting in 2013. Okay, I didn't know that. How many times? Yep. How many times did you make the semifinals before you made the finals? Uh, so before I made the finals, yeah, I it was three times. So wow. it was three times before I made it to the world championship in 2016. So I, I went to the semifinals in 2013, 2014. I didn't get out of my district in 2015, but obviously I got to the semifinals in 2016. What, in terms of in terms of your mentor, in terms of getting feedback, you obviously so for anyone who's ever written a speech and worked with someone on it, I think one of the hardest things to do is see your baby essentially just get ripped off, and and even and even after you reconstruct it, sometimes you have to do, change things, you have to do things again, and even once you practice it, then maybe you need to emphasize something. There's a lot of constructive feedback that goes into constructing and crafting a speech there's a lot of constructive feedback that goes into Toastmasters and that's one of the things that I think actually is maybe maybe even the best thing about Toastmasters is learning how to accept feedback how how did you learn to not take things personally and to be more objective in achieving your goals well honestly it it comes a lot from maturity but I started to apply what I call now feedback filters. And the biggest feedback filter or the best feedback filter that you can use is just time. So you take the feedback, don't do anything with it yet, but allow some time to pass. Because a lot of times when we receive feedback, and even when I receive feedback today, I get emotional about it. So there's always a small part of me that says, well, what do you know? Yeah. Or I, I'm this level of experienced speaker, or why should I apply this? Or something that just maybe outright seems 
totally against what I originally want to do. So I allow some time to pass. And then as time passes, I can get the emotion out of it and start thinking about it more objectively. When I'm thinking about it more objectively, then I can start to think, you know what? Maybe I won't do it exactly how they suggested, but I can understand the principle behind what they said, and I can address that. So that is something that you can do. Just allow some time to pass and think about it more objectively and see if there are some things that you can change based on the feedback that you got. Another feedback filter that I use is just my own intuition. So as I've gained more experience, I know what will work for a certain audience, and people will tell me certain things that really don't resonate with me, and I know it wouldn't work for me, because people will tell you, they will give you feedback based on how they would perform your speech, and don't always give you feedback based on how you should perform your speech. Sure. So you really have to keep that in mind, and when I get that type of feedback and it doesn't really match my style, or I feel that it's goes against what I would do. So again, I allow time to pass, but if it still doesn't fit, then I just say, okay, that wasn't the feedback that I wanted. That wasn't the feedback that I could use. So I just reject it. But at the end of the day, I will say that anybody can give you feedback. It's really up to you on how you apply the feedback. I think you hit on a good point, and you've talked about this earlier, but you have to take the feedback and then filter it through you. You have to be you. So the advice you get, exactly. yeah, filter it through you because if you try to do something inauthentic, whether it be a speech or a movie date, which you've talked about, pe- people can smell it from a mile away. And they're, they're not into that. They're not into fake. Yeah, absolutely. One th- I'm, I'm a real big champion of authentic speaking. One of the things that's helped me is I've, I've done improv comedy, which is one of the reasons I, I've been able to do this podcast is I'm better on my feet. But one of the feedback, feedback I got from people is your gestures don't look real. They don't look, they don't look natural. And, I, and it was something where I had practiced a lot, and maybe I, maybe I hadn't practiced to the point where they were natural, but doing improv helped me to kind of make things my own. And that was an interesting yeah. – and, and actually, I got that tip – not tip, but it was from – listening to Ramona Smith, 2018 world champion of public speaking, when she talked, she said she did acting lessons. And I was like, well, she's pretty good. It's probably not a bad, not a bad, uh, not a bad tip. You also talked, uh, yeah, I'm, yeah, you know, I mean, I'm sure you've met Ramona multiple times, right? She, she seems cool. Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely. In terms of, uh, in terms of, uh, oh, excuse me. We'll take it back. So you, you made semifinals multiple times, and then 20, 2015, you lost the district. Then you come back, you make it all the way to the finals in 2016. You get second place, not quite there, and then eventually you get 2019, you become the world champion, top of the world. Like your mentor said, this, is, this can be kind of a rough, rough ride. How did you overcome so much... I don't want to say failure because I think you're very much positive and those are lessons learned, but how did you overcome not getting the result you wanted bouncing back to then come back stronger? Yeah. Well, in 
2016, I made it to the World Championship of Public Speaking and got second place. And a lot of people really like that speech. Some people say, like, oh, Aaron, how did you not win first place? I had you at first place. And that's perfectly fine. One of the things that I learned is that the speech contest is subjective. So you have a subjective panel of judges who are going to vote based on their own interpretation of the speech criteria. And that's perfectly fine. But people love the speech, but I actually left the stage with regret because I didn't feel that I gave the speech the justice that it deserved. Really? So you got second place in the world championship and you walked off the stage feeling regret? Yep. And it wasn't because of the second place trophy because even second place out of 30,000 people is still an amazing an amazing accomplishment. Absolutely. And I didn't really have time to feel disappointed because there were, we were just whisked away and we had to take all types of pictures and we were taking pictures for hours, me and the third place winner. And... It was just insane how long we were taking pictures and how many people <laughs> wanted to talk to us. And it, it, it was just, yeah, that was totally, that was insane. That was overwhelming. And so there really wasn't enough time to get disappointed. And over time, I had more disappointment in the fact that I feel that I didn't give my story the justice that they deserve because I made some mental mistakes. And the biggest mental mistake was when I fumbled during my speech, I immediately started thinking about the judging and how the judges were going to mark me down for saying the wrong thing. And that, I feel, took me out of my my prime authentic state. And it certain lines that I really wanted to hit strong I couldn't hit as strong. And one of my favorite stories that I ever told, I think it was the strongest story in my arsenal, was the story about a young girl named Michelle who was afraid of public speaking. And I talked about how a few words from her mother just really touched her and helped her speak. And she just said a few words, a few powerful words, and that was all she needed to say. And I absolutely love that story. I tear up every time I tell the story. But because I wasn't in my prime state at that point, I couldn't really give it the justice that it deserved. I couldn't deliver it with the same emotion that I had in my practices before. And because of that, I really felt like I gave, I did that story an injustice. So I focused on speech execution in the years after. So 2017, I wanted to give a speech the best way that I possibly could. I wanted to tell the story exactly the way that they were meant to be told. And in 2017, I got back to the semifinals, and I did that, but I didn't even place in the semifinals. So I couldn't get back to the World Championship. But I left the stage knowing that there was nothing more that I could have done for that speech at that time. So I actually left the stage in 2017 with less regret than I did in 2016, even though I got a higher result. That's, well, I think it speaks to your, I think that you, you hit on something too. You're very, you're very process over results. And it sounds like it took you a few years to get there. And I, I, I've been the same way. I remember before 2018 working with, Prez Vasila, world champion of public speaker. 
I'm like, Eric Bernstein, 2018 World Championship of Public Speaking. It's in Chicago. And I lost. And it kind of helped me to get to a point where I think people do need to do a better job of focusing on creating a system and working that system and working those processes because that's going to help you get to where you want better than focusing on an end goal. Exactly. What? So you so you overcome that. So okay, well we got to fill in the twenty. What happened twenty eighteen? Yeah. So in twenty eighteen, it was really interesting because I had a story. So I was pretty much cemented in my style now because two thousand sixteen, I really thought to myself, okay, this is a good style that fits me and that people resonate with. So I'm going to continue this style. So I had my style now. I had a new story that I wanted to tell or a series of stories that I wanted to tell. So I took that in 2018, and I got up to the district level. But I didn't get out of my district this time. And it was because that there was another person who did a dynamite job at the district, and he just resonated with the audience so much. And it was a well-deserved win. But I couldn't help but feel disappointed that I was getting better as a speaker, but my results were regressing. Yeah. So a part of me felt that, okay, the concept is just going to keep getting tougher and tougher. I don't think I can ever win this thing. And what really helped me to focus on the right thing was the fact that I had competed that year in two contests. So before, I had never competed in any other speech contest except for the international speech contest. So in Toastmasters, there are other contests. You have the evaluation contest, you have the humorous speech contest, you have the tabletop contest. That year, I competed in the evaluation contest. And in my first time competing in the evaluation contest, I won the highest level that you can win for an evaluation contest. So I won my district. I won my district evaluation contest. And I couldn't be proud of that fact because I got second place in the international speech contest. So it wasn't the trophy that I wanted. I didn't really care about the evaluation contest. But it was about six months later where I'm just sitting in my room and I'm looking at the first place evaluation trophy and I'm thinking to myself, dude, you won the evaluation contest in your first try and you can't even celebrate it because you're so mad that you didn't get the first place trophy for the international speech contest. So I pretty much just had to chew myself out and yell at myself for just having this this short-minded mindset. And that was that's what really inspired me to focus on 2019 and focus on growth. I really wanted to focus on growing as a speaker, and it was the first year where I said to myself, you know what? I've made winning the World Championship of Public Speaking my goal every single year that I've competed. Even if it wasn't my primary goal, it was still a goal. So this year, I said, I'm not going to make it my goal at all. The World Championship of Public Speaking is a dream. It is not a goal. Therefore, I'm not going to create a vision board that's going to have me winning the World Championship. But what I will have is growing. So every round, I set a goal for myself to grow and get better with the, the speech that I was telling, whether it was making sure that my body movements matched my, what I was saying.
being on stage, making sure that my speech was authentic. I really wanted to focus on growing as a speaker rather than winning the world championship. And I tell people I won the world championship the one year I stopped trying to win the world championship. I heard this quote, and it said something along the lines of, the universe only gives you what you want when you no longer want it. Yeah, and it it does seem like that sometimes where when you finally let go of just the stress and the expectation of the result and you just focus on the process, that's when a lot of good things happen. So what so let's talk about let's talk about 2019. So you you you're in this like you're in this great place, you figure out, "Hey, I'm going to I'm just going to I'm going to focus on, you know, being the best I can. I'm going to focus on getting better every round." So we're going. So you start the process again. You're going round by round. You're getting. You're getting the results that you know. You're focusing on yourself, and it's it's coming out. So we get to 2019. You make it to. You get to semifinals. You win. You're going to be on that on that stage. What's going through your head? Well, I actually had set a major goal. So this was the true end goal for me. So again, the goal was not to win the world championship of public speaking. The goal was to do better than I did in 2016. So when I was on the world stage in 2019, my goal was to make sure that I didn't make the same mistake that I made in 2016, where if I fumbled, I just started thinking about the judging and lost my focus. So it was all about remaining focused or my speech. But the interesting thing about it is that when I was, preparing for the speech process, I had that goal. I said to myself, I want to do better than I did in 2015. I want to surpass myself from 2016. That was the only thing that I wanted to do. And I said before that I left the 2016 stage with regret. Sometimes the universe is really weird because I always thought if I could get a second chance to give that speech again or to repeat that scenario, I would want to do it. If you look at the stage in 2016, you will notice that it is the exact same stage as the 2019 stage. So when I saw that, I said, wow, it's the exact same stage. How cool is that? So in a way, I'm going to be able to do this again and do it right. So I'm not going to mess it up this time. I'm going to get on stage and I'm going to give my speech the way that I want to give it. Even if I fumble, I'm going to power through, and that's exactly what I did. There was actually a point in my speech where I thought that I messed up horribly and totally blanked out on a certain part of my speech. During 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 your world championship winning speech, you blanked out. Yep. Oh gosh. I thought I did. Oh, you thought you did? Okay. I thought I did, and I thought I skipped over some lines, but apparently, even though I fumbled, but I just had it in my mind to power through and. Instinctively, I just powered through and completed the story. And I looked back on it and I said, oh, wait, no, I hit every single line that I wanted to hit. Yeah. And it was, I, I just thought that that was an amazing experience. And I did what I intended to do. Somebody actually sent me a social media message, I think it was on Instagram, and saying that you, you did exactly what you said you were going to do. You surpassed yourself from 2016. And I said, okay, that's great. Now, I didn't listen to any of the other speeches. 
I just sat outside because I didn't want to go into concept mode thinking, like, okay, that speech isn't as good as mine or their speech isn't better than mine. I didn't want to get into that type of thinking. Sure. So I just sat outside. So I had no clue what any of the others did. So it was a complete surprise to me when I won the world championship because uh, my friend, he was also a finalist. So that, his name is Daniel Mixon Short. And he was telling me, yeah, man, I think you got this. I think you won. And I'm just saying to myself, nah, nah, you never know. You never know. Yeah. And then they call my name. I'm just like, holy crap, I won. <laughs> That's my name. <laughs> That's me. Oh, so, yeah. so, so let me ask you this. So you're, you're on the stage. You had that, like, so you had, like, either that moment or whatever when you're like, did I say what I wanted to? Was that, so that was during the speech, right? Where you had that moment where you're like, did I, am I saying that? Like, what was, what was the exact, like, thought? Do you remember? Was it like, did I say that right? Uh, so I didn't really think about that until I saw the recording of the speech. So I, I didn't know at all whether I hit the line or not. Oh, okay, okay. Did you have that moment this time where you were worried about the judges? So, no, and that was the thing. So, yeah. when I messed up, when I tripped over the line, I knew in my mind that I had tripped over the line. But it was just something within me that just said, you know what, who cares, power through. And that's exactly what I did. I just powered through. Yeah. It, it was more so of a, a mental thing where... Okay, I messed up, but I'm not going to notice it. I'm just going to keep going, and hopefully nobody knows. We have a you and I've talked. We're going to do a little bit of a fun improv game in a, in a moment here. I want to just kind of close out this section t- and just ask you, in terms of what you've learned since since 2019, what what are some lessons that like what what's something that you've that you've learned since then, whether it be about speaking or helping others to speak that you that you have uh, really enjoyed? I think the biggest overall lesson that I've learned from this entire experience is that if you look to become a better communicator in all of its aspects, so communication means speaking, but it also means listening and getting feedback and providing feedback, you can not only become a better speaker, but a better person. And I really feel that this Toastmaster experience, this public speaking experience has helped me become a better person, a more mature person, a wiser person, a more accepting person. I think that I would not have the same mindset or the same openness if I had not gone through all of those public speaking challenges and all of those, had not applied all of those public speaking lessons. So I personally believe that public speaking is not just a soft skill that can help you get better job prospects or something like that. I think it can actually help you become a better person. Absolutely. I was going to say well put, but... This entire thing has been well put. I mean, you're a world champion of public speaking. <laughs> wow, Aaron, you're so good at talking. All right, so last, actually, I just I, I just thought of this while we were while you were saying that. What did you put in more time doing? Your initial icebreaker or any of your semifinal or championship speeches? 
out easily any of the world championship speeches. So, okay. yeah. like I said, I practiced my speech for 20 hours straight for my icebreaker. But for some of my world championship speeches, I started prepping those years in advance. So the stories started off as something else, but they evolved over time. So it's just it was just constant thinking about certain things and then revising them. I started thinking about the actual content of what I was going to say for hours or days at a time. Like it, it started to really creep into my life where I'm on the train, I'm going to work, and I'm thinking about my speech. Or one day I'm right in the middle of working and all of a sudden this idea pops into my head of what I can include in my speech. And I stop working and just start thinking about the speech. So it, it really did consume me for a long time. And it was just the process of making the speech better, of finding a good piece of content and being inspired and being creative. So if I put all of those hours combined for just one of my championship speeches, I think it would be a total of days preparing. I guess it's probably... If not weeks. If not weeks. Well, for everyone who listens to this, that's that's going to be the price you got to pay. So get get uh, get comfortable with the fact you have to put in some work. Although I still... 20 hours for your icebreaker speech. You're hilarious. I think I put in like... Well, I've never won the world championship, so maybe that shows something. But I think I put in like an hour. I'm like, let's talk about me. I'm like, oh, I like stuff. That's funny. Okay, so Aaron, uh, we're gonna we're gonna so we're gonna switch from spending hours and days and weeks preparing to something to something that is a little more impromptu. We're gonna play a game called Blind Line. You and I talked about it a little bit earlier, but for those out there who have never played it or don't know what I'm talking about, which is pretty much everyone. The way it's going to work is Aaron is going to tell a couple stories. I don't know what they are. He might not even know what they are. I don't know. And uh, <laughs> this is the, yeah, the impromptu portion of things. And what so what we did is I asked Aaron beforehand about some of his favorite people, some of his favorite things, movies, shows. And he came back with uh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Oprah, The Rock, slash Dwayne Johnson, and LeBron James. So what I'm going to do is while Aaron is telling a story, I and so he I came up with 20 quotes and Aaron has those in front of him or nearby. And what I'm going to do is text him essentially a number, each quote is numbered, and I'm going to text him a number during while he's talking. And as soon as he sees that, the next words out of his mouth are going to be that quote and he is going to have to Justify slash continue speaking no matter what comes out of his mouth. Aaron, are you ready? I think I'm, I think I am. I think I am too. All right. Whenever you want to get started, go ahead. So just start telling a random story? Random story? Yeah, whatever. You can be a random story. You can talk about something that's important to you. You can describe the last time you went to a grocery store. Whatever works. Oh, yeah. I, oh, why not start with that? So, last time I went to a grocery store, it was about two weeks ago, and I had to 
wait in line for about an hour to just get into the store because they only allowed a certain number of people due to the whole COVID-19 situation. And it was one of the craziest experiences that I've ever had. But once I actually got into the store, usually the store is you get a car and you get a car and you get a car. (laughs) (laughs) So I actually don't drive and it's something that I've never done. Well, actually I have done it. I started getting driving lessons and one thing that I realized is that I get distracted very easily when I am on the road. So I like to look at the trees, I like to look at the animals, and you can't do that while you're driving. And not only that, people are crazy on the road. And I don't want to add to the craziness on the road, so I actually do not drive. My driver's license is pretty much just for show. Grind hard, shine hard. And this is honestly what you have to do to get ahead in life. So we look at the World Championship of Public Speaking. When you look at the World Championship of Public Speaking, you just look at people on that final stage, and you don't see all of the things that they've had to do to get where they are. You see the trophies, and you see the air quote fame, but you don't see all of the work that they put in behind the scenes. You don't see, I think, team first, It allows me to succeed. It allows my team to succeed. And that's true. You don't see the team that is behind the speaker. So when you are being a speaker on the stage in the World Championship of Public Speaking, you don't see all of the feedback that they got. You don't see their club members who supported them. You don't see their mentors. You don't see all of the people that they were inspired by. It takes a village to raise a child, they say. Well, it takes a village to raise a world champion of public speaking. I believe that wholeheartedly. And that was actually a good way to end that one. I am grouped. I am grouped. I am grouped. Luck is a matter of preparation meeting opportunity. 100% agree with that statement. I believe in luck. And one of the things that people don't understand when it comes to the World Championship of Public Speaking is luck. You can be lucky to have a certain number of judges. You can be lucky that you don't have to go up against a certain opponent. All of that is luck. All of that is something that you cannot control. So you really can't control that aspect of it, so you should only try to control what you can control. Surround yourself with only people who are going to lift you higher. That's one of the things that you have to do. You can't get people that are just going to say that, oh, you can't do this, oh, Maybe you should do something that totally goes against what you wanted to do. You can't do that. You have to surround yourself 
with people of like mind who are about achieving something, who are not going to drive you down, who are not going to downplay every single change that you try to make into your speech. This is what you absolutely have to do if you want to get far in the World Championship of Public Speaking. I'm sorry. Earth is closed today. You better pack up and get out of here. <laughs> this is pretty much where we are right now. The earth is closed, <laughs> and you better pack up and get out of here. The whole COVID-19 situation has closed up almost everything. The only thing that we can do right now in this crazy time is just go to the grocery store, which is what I had to do two weeks ago where I had to stand in line for an hour and wake up determined, go to bed satisfied. And when I did go to the store, I was woke, I woke up and I was determined to go to the store because I had zero food, I had nothing in my refrigerator. So by the time I got back, I had gone to the store, I had bought up all the food that I needed for the next two weeks, and I went to bed satisfied knowing that my fridge was full and that my belly was going to be full. And Wakanda forever. <laughs> now, this one, it's going to be interesting. We're going to take a different turn here because there is a movement that's happening right now for Black Lives Matter. And I really think that Wakanda Forever is just a fun way to remember that black people, they are strong. And Wakanda Forever really means everyone together. I really think that's something that we need to think about. It's everyone being together. So it doesn't matter if you are black, it doesn't matter if you are white, everyone can say Wakanda forever, and it means everyone together. Aaron Beverly, you have thrived through Blindline. How was that? <laughs> How'd that work out? Did you enjoy it? Yes? Yay, nay? Should we, should we keep it? That, that, that was fun. <laughs> and, and it's funny because like, I, I just kind of looked at all of the the props before. I, I didn't even realize that I Am Groot was on there. <laughs> <laughs> but when, when, you, when you have I Am Groot, like, what, what else can you say but I Am Groot? <laughs> that's I Am Groot. I Am Groot. I Am Groot. That's, that's all you can do. Aaron Beverly, you are wonderful. There's so much to unpack, and I literally had a, a zillion other questions, but uh, in the in the interest of uh, time and, um, you know, if, if there's another chance to have you on, I'd love to have you. You are fantastic. You're on you're on uh, YouTube. We, people, people can find you on YouTube by searching your name. You're on Instagram. Is there anything else, last, last message you want to send out into the universe? Honestly, the last thing that I will say to everybody uh, just going back into the current situations that are going on. Now is a time where communication is critical. So whether it's communicating your frustrations about the COVID-19 and the quarantine, whether it's your frustrations about the inequality or pre-brutality in Black Lives Matter movement, right now is a time to communicate to find the words that you want to say and really listen to people as well. 
communication is not just a one-way street. You have to listen. And sometimes that means listening, going. It means listening to people who may not have the same opinion as you do. So that's the last thing that I will share for you today. Aaron, thank you. Thank you so much for coming on. Uh, Laugh and learn with Vern. I hope uh, everyone out there learned something, and I hope they they laughed, and we will find you, and hopefully some people will reach out if they have questions because you are super helpful and a super awesome guy. Aaron, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. That was Aaron W. Beverly, the reigning Toastmasters 2019 world champion of public speaking. You can find him on Instagram at A-A-R-O-N underscore W underscore B-E-V-E-R-L-Y, Aaron W. Beverly. He also is active on LinkedIn. I would check out his Instagram to start. It is very interesting, great post, cool artwork, and I just couldn't, I can't thank him enough for coming on. He was a fantastic interview, and his his will to just work and to put himself out there and to overcome adversity and to be just a good sport we had never met before this podcast. I guess technically we only talked. I reached out to him because I've been done Toastmasters and he is just a phenomenal guy. I wish him nothing but the best. And I love that he is still, he's now an area director in Toastmasters. He's not stopping. His, his journey continues and I give him all the credit in the world for that. If you have public speaking questions, feel free to reach out to Aaron. He's obviously a public speaking expert. I also recommend joining Toastmasters. Yes, it is a Zoom era we're in right now, but hopefully that'll end soon. However, you need to just get the reps. Even myself, as someone who has spent you know four or five years in Toastmasters, I recognize that I've taken the last few months off because of my army training, and I need to get back in. Maybe we can get back in together. Because now we can, as long as you join a club, you can visit any club literally in the world, which is so unique. I will talk to you all on 5-Minute Friday. Have a wonderful west of, west of your week. Uh, I guess I really do need to get back to Toastmasters, huh? Take care. Bye.